Oh, good <laughs> thinking. Clap on that note, shall we? Yep. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> So you got a new computer? Yeah. How's that going? Sure did. That's good. It's a bit of a time suck. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. But, but it's fantastic. Very happy. Yeah, it turned up on Monday after saying last week that it was still weeks away, which is what the tracking said. That's cool. Suddenly it was there and I've spent a lot of my precious R&D time this week setting up Rhino shortcuts and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'll happen. That or you like get in between. I always like, I'm going to start using the new one. And then I just leave a bunch of crap on the old one for a while. Oh, and yeah. like, always can't find it. Crap. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's really good. Happy. It's super fast. So for, for the listeners, it's a MacBook Pro 14 inch kind of mid spec. Not quite the base model, but I can't remember all the numbers that are attached to it. It's, 16 gig of RAM, and so far everything is very fast and snappy. The one thing that um, coming from a fairly high spec Lenovo ThinkPad, mm-hmm. which I bought as a mobile workstation about a year or so ago, the one thing that is significantly slower is Rhino. Yes. I, I should, probably should have told you that <laughs> since you use it so you much. You and you didn't tell me. Yeah, it's laggy. I've been thinking about making this video because I made videos about Fusion and Rhino. There really wasn't any when the new M1 stuff came out. And so I made a couple of those and they get a decent amount of views. It seemed really great at the time. And since using it the last, since 2020, different incarnations of the M1 computers now, I've just come to realize they really need to make the native versions for it to really... I'm having this problem all the time now, especially with Fusion, that it just eats all of my RAM. And then it just, yeah, right. like, I, it was using 17 gigs of RAM the other day, and I only have 16. And I was like, how is that even possible? Like, <laughs> what? So, yeah, they're a little bit, they can get bogged down uh, in terms of, like, multitasking and things made natively for it. It's so fast. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So responsive. Yeah, look, I don't know what the deal is with Rhino because Rhino is such a light application on PC. Like it uses barely any resources, opens fast. It's really, yeah, because I, I, I think I mentioned I have my Sandpit file open pretty much all the time. It's got, yeah, you know, he- heaps of geometry in it. And yeah, the first thing I opened on the new one was that Sandpit. I was like, ooh, just panning, panning around was significantly slower. And so I hid you know, 90% of the geometry and that helped significantly. So if I'm running a light Rhino file, it's fine. It just gets bogged down with the, the big ones. I've, I've um, read a little bit that on their forum that they're really responsive on that they do have a like work in progress. I don't remember if it's seven or eight that you can use if you have oh, a license yeah. and it's supposed to be native now or metal or something. I don't really understand quite what it is, but it's supposed to be improved and they're they're, Ooh, they've okay. been working on a native version, so the oh, trick okay, with that will be if you're trying to collaborate internally and you have a beta and nobody else that. does. <laughs> Everyone else is on Rhino 5, so we're stuffed anyway. It's all good. <laughs> Gem's just making files nobody can use. I do that all the time on accident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's fun. And then, you know, biggest highlight I think I shared with you on the Slack was just getting access to that Numi calculator app. I love it. 
so much fun. It's very, it's like the perfect kind of nerdy that we like. <laughs> it's just a little clean calculator with kind of some natural language kind of almost where you can like mm. kind of process stuff line by line. But it's just, I have all these files that I come back to that over time, like I used to calculate the phone bill between my family members every month and you just put in a couple <laughs> things and it would calculate it out. It's basically a little spreadsheet, but it could be any on any Mac. Yeah. It's yeah, faster it's than that to access, I think, often. And it just mm. looks better, too. <laughs> yeah, and I think the final thing on the computer is just the battery life is stupid good. That's true. That's true. Coming from two hours max on the ThinkPad to seemingly mm. limitless battery life on this. It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Sitting, sitting on the couch last night with Lightroom open, just like trolling 8,000 photos for the website and, you know, yeah. Two hours later, it had used 20% or something. It's amazing. It, I've definitely noticed, too, that the same thing applies for anything that's native versus non-native apps will suck more power because that ah. the conversion Rosetta thing seems to eat... Like, Fusion is a battery hog, so... Interesting. Um, okay, good. It's good still tonight. really good. You still get a lot yeah. out of it, so... Yeah, I'm happy with myself. Awesome. Good. How's your week? What's happening? I've been... Printing like a madman. I've got <laughs> last time we were live printing this one. Yeah. Which we call baby pants. Baby pants. Um, appropriately. That was like the first print I'd ever done. I've probably done like 15 versions in digital model form of our dust boot. Oh, wow. Kind of um, okay. just trying to make it work and thinking through the concepts of like how. If you had two and they came to one, like two four inches came down to one thing in the bottom or just all these different versions over, you know, I said like basically a year or so. And so this one turned out pretty good and we liked how it kind of fit. I did some plywood testing and we mounted it up in spindle and it was mostly good. And I immediately noticed like, oh, this is going to suck to keep attached because it was just basically like floating in there. And I was like, well, maybe a bunch yeah. of glue. I was like, that's a bad Lots idea. Of glue. That's a bad idea. Quickly chatted through and I added a few screw downs and kind of see my faces in the way. Yeah. And then points. Yep. a little bit more of like a butt, I guess, on the backside <laughs> that sits on the plate and a little bit thicker. It's cool. But I think we may be able to finish the plates out of acetal and then actually mount it up today. That's Ooh. been super exciting. Big improvement for us. And then a lot of people seem to be interested in potentially having one as well, which I'm excited about. And Myself included. Yeah, I'm curious yeah, about that. Great. Yeah. So you had modeled how many versions of that before printing one? Well, you know how you do like versioning and fusion. Well, it's like sure, I've gone okay. through like six different files with major idea changes. Such it, restraint. I don't it, know how you do it. Like, how do you not just print the first one? Well, we didn't have a printer for like the first okay. four versions of that. So it's just kind of that actually helped speed it up because then I knew what I could print a little bit better. Also, that we could even print it like it was kind of a uh, I was going to outsource that and like probably some commercial, you know, crazy printer. So, yeah, that, okay, that helped a you. lot. Yep. And, and it just was easy, similar to probably how you were using yours. It's just easy to kind of ignore. Like, it works. Ours works okay. People sweep it yeah. up, and you just get, <laughs> you're annoyed by it. But it's like, well, it's not stopping us from working. 
and I gotta broken. take the machine apart to fix it. You know, like I'm working on it. Yeah, ours has got these silly little pneumatic pushdowns on the pressure foot, and John had a little bump, you know, minor crash the other day, and so both of the pneumatic arms are now bent, so they don't even retract now. So the thing's just useless; it's just stuck. It does like a little kick move every time it comes down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that and been kind of cranking cool. on planning for like a video shoot of our knack wall stuff beginning of june and so ricky's right. cutting more parts right now or getting them finished and trying to get it all prepped so that we can do more than just talk about it fantastic yeah good one will you shoot that i have a friend that's going to be nearby actually and he's going to come he fantastic awesome yeah what do you shoot on when you're not just doing handheld iPhone stuff? I have a Sony A3S? A3? A3. Alpha 3. I just got that like last year, so I haven't used it all that much, but I like it a lot. Been mm. very crisp, like compared to, I had a kind of a more entry Sony mirrorless, and it it definitely <laughs> improves upon a lot of the things that I like about that. How about yeah, you? I had a, a Canon 7D. Hmm. For about 12 years. Oh, wow. And had a nice piece of glass on the front of it that was worth a lot more than the camera body. Yeah. And I was doing a photo shoot maybe 18 months ago at work and I just hit the tripod release and I didn't catch the camera. I was just kind of on autopilot. Yeah. I just took the camera off and the whole thing just went fell to the concrete. Body was fine, but the lens literally snapped in half and Ooh. thankfully it was insured. Oh. And the insurance payout got me a new Fuji X-T4. Oh, nice. And I'd never had a sort of small, whatever they're called, mirrorless camera yeah, yeah. before, but I'm so impressed with the sharpness. Like going through shots last night, you can see the point very, very clearly, see the point at which the camera switched. And it's like yeah. it goes from kind of soft edges on the Canon to suddenly like everything's just ultra crisp and sharp in the, on the Fuji. So I've been very happy with that. Yeah, I have a similar experience. The thing I've noticed video-wise more than anything, I was, you know, I had the first one since 2019, the mirrorless is 4K, and I would never shoot 4K because it was just like, most people aren't using that on the internet, like, you know, mm. using it as a, a format. It's giant, it's hard to edit with. And like with the improvement of computers and storage and all this stuff, now I'm like, I'm always shooting 4K and it's so much better quality. Like when, even when you edit it down to 1080, that... Yeah. I kind of wish I had done it a long time ago. It's amazing, but the file sizes are disgusting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we were talking about this, I think, offline, but like, it's one of the few mm. things that I don't really like put into cloud. I just have backups here and then I do like a, a back blaze backup of that. Okay. So you've just got external drives that yeah. you deal with video on. Yeah. I just yeah, kind of keep need... everything. That's cool. Yeah. I need, I need to do that. I've been procrastinating from buying an external hard drive for years <laughs> that was honestly a big change because i just like i think i realized that an eight gig or eight terabyte external was like 180 bucks or something and i was like oh my yeah. word like uh, uh, i could store uh, uh, so much video on this yeah i just need to do that bite the bullet because I, I i literally don't shoot in 4k or i shoot less 4k because i'm just bored by the file storage issue <laughs> no no i i totally agree and that was that was a big restraint for me and i was always like oh that's stupid like i don't need that and then 
I literally have a TikTok, like the best TikTok video I've made. I shot in 4K. I edited it down. Even on TikTok, I constantly get comments about how good the quality oh. is. It's oh, yeah. just because of shooting that way and then yeah. not, you know, enlarging it or anything like that. So nice. Yeah. <clears throat> I wish I'd just spent awesome. more time shooting, honestly. Yeah, me too. On that shooting all day today, hopefully. Woo! What are you? What is it? A m- most rare occasion. I've carved out mm, hopefully ninety percent of today for dedicated shooting time. I've got a friend coming. We'd kind of we'd been wanting to do this throughout various COVID lockdowns, and had never quite made it happen. Hmm. And we're finally sort of clear of yeah most of that nonsense. And so he's coming for the day and. He'll get here about 10 o'clock and we'll spend the rest of the day shooting content for the website. Oh. And shooting new products, try and get some video, a bunch of stills. Just spend time working together, setting up shots basically, and hopefully not get too bogged down. Because I find in the past when I've tried to do stuff like that, I sort of set up one shot and by then, you know, a few hours later, I'm like, cool, I'm done. I'm tired. I can't be bothered packing this up and making another scene now. That'll do. Yeah. That's really interesting where we're doing that at the same time because I'm trying to plan out. We had a kind of a meeting yesterday about I was getting bogged down mentally just trying to process like what are we trying to accomplish with doing this little video mm-hmm. shoot? I mean, that it's a new thing is challenging for me too. I'm trying to like formulate what the angles are and like pitching this to people, right? Like what what yeah. what are the features yeah. and benefits? But I guess the question of all that is how do you plan video or photo shoots do you have like a system or you just write a workflowy planning i don't think i've ever planned a photo shoot i no i just wing it i totally just wing it and even if i have pretended to have gone into it with a bit of a plan or a sketch or something it typically gets thrown in the bin pretty mm. quickly and i just kind of let let the just the process kind of lead me yeah as with most things i make i th- think i'm similar with photos i just sort of do it fairly intuitively and just follow my nose and see what looks good and what looks crap and don't, you know, because I find if I'm too set on an idea and I'll try and achieve that idea and I like, it's not working out, <laughs> then I get frustrated. Whereas if I don't, don't have a fixed plan, I'll just follow yeah. my nose, which, you know, is fine if you're just trying to get some shots, but if you're trying to communicate something, yeah, that, that's yeah. a very different story, and that, I think that's where I fall down in my product photography and communication online. Is I'm not really focusing on what am I actually trying to communicate to our customers in the most effective, efficient way, and then for shoot sure. for that. That that's hard. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So I, the last di- one I did was the whiteboard, and it was just like at my house, which is usually the easiest because this isn't a very aesthetic space here and not that my house is but it just has a blank wall that worked and i found that to be so much easier to just set up and like take some photos i keep thinking about is make short videos to make into content Mm. as well as usable on the website i can shoot photos all day of these things they're not that complicated i the other thing is i can render this so well like not th- mm, not that my yeah. skills are so good, but it's just so it's all in fusion. So I just have scenes set up where if I want a combination of things, I can just quickly render that. I'm trying to prioritize. It seems like there needs to be some story because I don't immediately think people are going to th- see this knackle and go, oh, yeah, like I can put that in my space. 
or something. It like kind of has to be, they need a scale reference. They need, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Narrative story. Yeah. All those, all those things that are so much harder than just picking up a camera or outputting a render. Yeah. And take so much more time and planning and critical thinking. Yeah. Totally get you. So I, so how do I do that? I'm still, I don't know. I'm still like I'm still working on our new Shopify theme build. So last night on the couch, you know, I think I was secretly waiting for this computer to arrive before I like spent time editing photos because I wanted this screen. It's, it's really so good nicer. quality, yeah. <laughs> so I was sitting on the couch and I'd loaded in the last, you know, 10, 15 years of photography into Lightroom and I just scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. Yeah, I'll use that for this banner. Just picking out random stuff like from this huge library of photos. And, you know, that creates quite a nice look and, you know, the website's looking really nice with these new banners, but it's not, it's not intentional. It's kind of just opportunistic. It's not communicating to a point I can communicate an idea by my photo selection, but I'm not, yeah, building something from scratch to really Mm -hmm. clearly say why this product is good or, you know. So yeah, don't know. I've got no answers for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you ever have this thing where you like you work in a product or a project so long that you kind of lose an outward sense of it? Totally. Where it's like, isn't it just obvious? Like I'll show my wife something I'm working on and she's a designer and she'll just go, well, this makes no sense with the rest of what you're working on. I'm like, God damn. okay, <laughs> like I, I guess I'd was just making a cool thing and I forgot about like, oh, it has to work with these other objects. <laughs> yeah, totally. And even if it is a cool thing, it's hard to have that external sense of how someone else may view it mm-hmm. or how someone else may want to use it. And that's why you need to get your knack wall out into the world. <laughs> yes, yes, <clears throat> I totally agree. I had a brilliant email the other day from a customer because Jay and I have been talking about this idea of how to We've got this dream for Kitter Parts of having an online configurator so a customer can like drag and drop components almost like a game and build their own set and, you know, click order. And we had this fantastic email the other day from a customer who wanted a custom Kitter Parts and using masking tape on their wall, they'd like taped, Ooh. they'd made all the components out of masking tape and like taped it up at full scale on their wall and written like short shelf, short dowel, long dowel. Cool. Labeled it all, photographed it, sent it through. I was like, this is perfect. Like, this is exactly yep. the tool we want to make, but <laughs> in a digital form. So calling on all all developers out there who can help us with that because we haven't found anyone yet. I would love that. That would be so cool. It, a lot of the technology seems like it's now there with, I mean, every iPhone that's come out in the last few years can do augmented reality and like, is that the right phrase? You can basically Ooh. project a... Um, the idea of a 3D object into the camera space yeah. of the phone. Yeah, uh, yep. And even Shopify supports it right now. So you can export from Fusion this little file, and then people can do that. But the problem is we're both probably running in the same thing. They're not configured scenes. They're an object. Yeah. It's not six things. It's one. But you could potentially, in this idea, right, if you did or could configure it quickly enough for them that it made sense. Maybe your Rhino scenes are quick to assemble. You could then send them, send them a file and they could then project it onto their space. <laughs> yeah. And that's how I do it in Rhino. I've got, so I find that's the fastest way to do it. I've got blocks mm-hmm. 
of the components. And then I've got some smart text blocks that count the blocks. And oh. so I can lay out the configurations. And then I've got a little tally down the side that tells me how many components I've used. Oh, cool. I don't know about these you things. Know yeah, I'll, I'll show you in Rhino. Cool. It's a really neat little trick. Yeah. Yeah, and that's quite fast. And, you know, it's nice being able to design a set for someone, but it'd just be, it'd be so good for I've customers to be able to configure their own stuff. I've definitely been kind of bashing my head against the wall a few times with, we're trying to make kits of the knack wall, but it's like yeah. pretty tough to pre-decide things for people and, you know, predetermine what somebody might want and then make it so it works. But the alternative is, how do they, how, in the most basic sense, it's like if we don't show them something that's pre-set up, then they have to kind of arrange it and make it fit mentally, basically, because we don't have a better, you have something? Yeah, no, I'm just agreeing oh. with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were shaking your head like, no, I have a thing. And I was like, oh, tell me. No, I know, no, right? No, no. It's So the kit seems yeah, obvious to me, as at least as small basic building blocks. And then you have this much Absolutely. extra space to play with. Yeah, I think that's essential because while you, being so familiar with the product, may be able to mentally 3D model mm-hmm. a configuration in your mind, the customer, in our experience with stuff like that, kits sell much better, much, much better. Yeah, I'd imagine. Because give, just giving everyone individual components as options, unless they've already bought a kit of parts mm-hmm. and they're familiar with the system, then they might be confident to buy a few parts and make another little thing. Yep. But that kit at the outset, I think, is essential for anything like that, which is kind of system based. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I would push you to not sort of labor over it too long in terms of what the perfect configuration is and just like throw a kit together and get it up there. Because yeah. you'll get feedback. Whether it's direct feedback or whether it's people then buying the bit that they feel is missing. Yeah. And if you see a pattern there, then you can update sure. your kit. Yeah. yeah, no, it's good. Good advice. Mm, it's tricky though, because then you end up with like <laughs> so many variants in Shopify and then trying to manage all those variants and update them, keep them. Yeah, We're going to get real fun. nerdy for a second. I, I think Saunders was talking about this like um, bundling or kidding mm. plugin a long time ago. I asked him about it and I don't remember. He either sent me it or I found a different version that lets you take one product variant and then that's a bundle and then you can like attach other things to it to create these like cool. pre-bundled things. And then the benefit of that is when us as the sellers got to fulfill that, it's not just like version A or product A bundle. It literally pulls all those names into of each assembled item, sub-variant kind of thing. And also takes down the inventory of those things Mm, as it gets bought. So you you actually keep track of it because that's a nightmare I found with even small other kits of like planers and things is when one thing is in four other products, it doesn't really track. Like, (laughs) oh, we have 16 of these. It's just like one says 16, one says 15. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. I need to look into that sort of bundling stuff as well. We've, we've never bothered bothered tracking inventory. I find it too complex to keep on top of it. And then for it to be accurate, you have to, I think the, the Johns have talked about this, but like, do you track mm-hmm. it? Do you spend the time tracking it? Or do you just have like a Kanban level Yeah, that when you hit that, it just triggers production? And we've always done the latter. Yeah. And just if we're running out of something, then we'll make more, but don't try and sort of 
keep up with exactly how many things we have on the shelf. I started out not knowing what the hell I was doing right with that stuff. And I bought some software mm. five, eight years ago that was trying to track everything, every screw that was me. <laughs> and I was so stressed out about that all the time. It was always breaking. It was like another level of trying to be an accountant that I yeah, never wanted yeah. to be in the first place. And finally, <laughs> I think, I don't know what it was. It was like podcast or something. I was just like, screw that. And I like jettisoned all that off. And it just felt so screw good. That. I think some of that screw was... Screw those <laughs> I think so. maybe it was Saunders just saying like, well, we don't do that. You know, like I don't, you either have to track every, every one or you use some kind of leveling system. And after that, it's just been so nice to not worry about that. The other thing is we're both luckily in a non-emergency based product world, right? Like nobody absolutely totally, needs yeah. fixturing to make their <laughs> next part. It's, <laughs> oh no, my kit of parts isn't here. I can't put my shelves up. Oh, there's high expectations in the furniture game, Justin. You know this. <laughs> we talked about this last time, though. I simply must. Yeah, no. It makes sense. Mm. I saw you're working on coffee table. That looks interesting. How long has that been in the process? John and I sat down yesterday and counted how many new products we're sitting on. Yesterday, I think we're up to nine. <laughs> Just, we've got a list going in Airtable and... We're trying on the planning note, we're actually trying to plan product launches for the first time ever instead Ooh. of me just like randomly dropping stuff on Instagram overnight and saying, Hey, new product. <laughs> and then everyone else in the business going, Oh, damn, done it again. Like now we have to catch up and do all the, you know, yes, get the, get the instructions made, get it into Shopify, do the pricing. Like we're trying to do all of that stuff pre-launch which has really slowed down our yeah output so yeah. i'm torn i like I, I love dropping new stuff overnight and just going cool deal with it we'll work <laughs> it out let's just sell some things and see what happens but uh, i guess we've we've built such a machine now in the business and in Airtable that we kind of have to be a bit more organized but yeah lots of new product which is exciting and a lot of it from staff the staff royalty program is working really nicely. There's a great energy at the moment and people have got some cool things coming through. Quite a couple of quite ambitious ideas, which is great. Like, yeah, hmm, cool. Mm. That's exciting. Is that coffee table a kit of parts system or is it just a separate thing? It's a separate thing, just using the threading IP. We've kind of sort of been trying to sort of double down on being aware of all the IP we're sitting on and all the time that we've spent developing that and trying to capitalize on it a bit more, expand it, you know, mm -hmm. different ways we could use that. Yeah. Cause I, I have this thing, <clears throat> I'm aware that, you know, every man and his dog has got a three axis machine these days. Yes. And, you know, a friend, a friend of mine who has, you know, almost no manufacturing experience has just bought, you know, a big full size three axis to, put in his shed and mm -hmm. so like it's becoming so common that I'm aware that we need to, you know, stay ahead in some sense. Yeah. I've thought um, about that lately and, too. And whether that's, you know, investing in a five axis machine down the track or what we're doing at the moment where we've built, you know, a custom machine that does a very specific thing and then just sort of investing in that technology yeah. that we've made for ourselves. I don't know. What do you think about that whole thing. The more I've been around Cam, especially Fusion, we talk about its progress in like adaptive clearing kind of things or 
if you've ever played the steep and shallow that mm. my thought for the last year or so is the skills that we have created for ourselves in programming and running CNC machines are going to become nearly automatic. We already have these tools that, that do the quoting, so they only have to start applying the actual tool. Here's a tool. Here's how it would access it. I think in the end, what we're going to end up is like machinists or CAM programmers will basically be like checking to make sure it all worked right before it goes out to the machine. Similar to what you're saying, it's like a CNC could very well turn into like a router could turn into basically what a laser cutter is, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of nuance there. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's going to become less special. I think for sure it already had in the time I've been doing it, it's become significantly less. The barrier to entry is lower. There's a new, I think it's US made CNC router maker that's selling theirs for like $8,000 for like the same size of mm. machine that I have. And I'm like, what? How is that even possible? Like, yeah, I think it's the, you, the, the barrier is yeah. lowering. Do you have a sense of how you'll combat that mm. on air or off air? <laughs> nah, I mean, my strategy to all of this, and I had this idea back in school, was that there was some level of sustainability for myself or business by having a scattershot approach of everything from education to consulting, you know, like with job shop stuff to product design, and that hopefully one of those at all times I could keep juggling to the right yeah. place. I definitely in the last, let's say, year, eight months, six months have felt like I've maybe pushed that too far and I'm trying to like come back to what's the right thing to be working on instead of trying to juggle all these things at the same time. Don't know if I'm doing a good job at it, but how about you? Uh, Look, my solution to that question has always been be ahead in investment in machines. Mm -hmm. But I'm not 100% anymore that that's the right answer. I think there's our discovery process of building commissioning and running the pencil sharpener has sort of led me down a much more sort of niche route. So rather than going, cool, if we want to stay ahead, we need to invest 350K in a five axis machine. Yeah. I mean, I'd still love to do that. But my thinking now is more like we're sitting on so much sort of design IP and there's so much power in building a custom machine potentially or sort of building low-cost, single-purpose machines that can make certain processes really efficient Mm -hmm. in order to support a product line that is unique. I think, yeah, that's kind of our approach at the moment and where my head's at. As with all these things, my thinking tends to be very fluid and changes week to week. But Same. Yeah, but I do love my robots, so, you know, any excuse? Yeah, I think the last few of Saunders's tours have pushed my thinking quite a bit beyond what I normally thought about in terms of like automation type things with, I've seen any of those, I forget the names of them at the moment, but there's yeah, been a couple of good yeah. ones. The Metal Quest one was quite a while ago, mm-hmm. actually, but that was pretty shocking. Just the levels they go to to do one-sided setups have crazy tools that go in and backside chamfer, backside machine from one setup. Those kind of things. I used to live in Nebraska. That's where they're from. It's interesting to me to see such high level of technology thinking and just progressiveness in that kind of machining level that allows them to compete with, like they were saying, like Asia, basically, and keep mm. stuff here versus, I mean, I run into that all the time. It's like we're not competitive with Asia in any sense. Yeah. I had somebody yeah. recently 
ask us for a quote for a set of parts that would be tough to make. They're all 3D machines, small parts out of wood. They were getting them made 30 times cheaper than what we could possibly do it. And I was like, I don't know, man, we pay a good wage. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, the and that example that you gave of Metal Quest is a good example of what, you know, how far you can push a simple machine to like, you don't necessarily need the big expensive machine to be innovative and be ahead. Yeah. You can continue to push a simple machine harder and harder and get more and more squeeze out of it, I suppose, mm-hmm. to stay competitive and ahead. So, yeah, it doesn't have to mean investment. It can be internal investment, I suppose, in terms of your processes and thinking and yeah. innovating within that. Yeah, for sure. That's something we've sort of chatted about for a while as a business is we're, we're growing, but we're growing internally hmm. with the resources we have. Tell me more. Yeah, you've got a set of tools, you've got a space, and we've got a team, (laughs) all very capable. We don't have to add more people. We don't have to add more machines. We're not going to build another shed. Let's grow within the resources that we have and maximize our output, I suppose, out of those tools and resources that we have. So we could grow quite a lot. Like we're aiming to sort of double our revenue over the next 12 to 18 months, and that's None of that should involve more people or more really? equipment. Wow. Yeah. It's all just internal. You know, we might hit a point where like the spray booth can't cope anymore. We need to upgrade it or we need another spray booth or like we might run into things like that along the way that we can't sort of plan for. But that internal growth thing is something that we seems quite feasible and we've been chasing that for a couple of years. Interesting. Uh, so do you have proof yeah. of it working already? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah that's for cool. Sure. Very cool. And I think part of that is simplifying as well, not trying to be everything to everyone, (laughs) which is something I've always tried to be. Like, yeah, (laughs) I've always been the the yes man of like, yeah, we'll try that. We'll help you. And that's how we've we've grown the business. And that's part of my identity. So it's been a hard thing to try and shift, but I can see the potential in more stuff we say no to and start to shut down the more opportunities i can see opening up in the areas that we actually want to be working in so cool it's tricky yeah that's awesome i've felt like this for years and (laughs) it's frustrating that we're always like right on the edge of growth like that that have more and more all the time the equipment the people the resources to do those kind of things and then the only thing I can blame at this point is myself, honestly, for like why it hasn't happened, but it always feels right around the corner. Like there's so much more capacity, so much more capacity than what we're pushing through at the moment, like product or like I was talking about before. So we have products that don't don't sell or aren't scaling like we want them to, and we can make a lot more of all of it, right? And it's just not selling as if as we'd like to, so... That's still high on my list. It's basically necessary for like the knack wall to work. You got to be able to start selling it in a way that isn't just me hopefully posting on Instagram or Facebook marketing or something, you know? So that's a big, big effort of mine lately. Mm. Yeah, it's tricky, huh? I'll share a simple question that my business coach asked me the other day after I shared some of our, our business goals. Yeah. You know, and he his simple question to me was, you know, that's great, but how are you currently getting in the way of this result? 
you because it comes down to us at the end of the day. We're the business owners. Mm-hmm. It's all our fault. It's all our problem. And we're the ones that get in the way of whatever it is we're trying to do. <laughs> so I like that. How are you currently getting in the way of this result? I've got to paste it up and trying to sort of come back to that. Think about it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm highly aware that that's probably largely great at starting things, but it's not always my forte to continue or to push them beyond maybe the beginning phase sometimes. And so, mm. or I'll just get bored of stuff, honestly. Yeah. So that that's the part that I haven't figured out how to add somebody else to the mix or something that helps push that beyond it. I think that's that's pretty critical for me anyway, if I had to guess. Yeah. Being yeah. a business coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm the same. Like I start everything and get excited about everything, but actually ex- executing and completing is the hard bit for sure. Having feeling accountable to your team, I find a really valuable tool, like setting up any sort of little accountability loop within the business mm. <laughs> where you've told, even or, or external to the business of like having someone that you chat to about your intentions. Yeah, I mean, even this, like yep, re-listing yep. or editing episodes of this, I hear what I've said and I'm like, that's right. I gotta do that. I'd made a statement, you know, I said yeah. something and then I now I need to deliver on that. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. Accountability is a big one for me to actually get anything done. Then I need a deadline and I need to feel accountable to someone else and then I'll get it done. If there's no deadline, I'm stuffed. The deadlines are killer for me because it's like, <laughs> what, you know, you set your own deadline and then what? It just go, comes and goes because somebody wanted a quote, you know, like, yeah, yeah, haven't been doing well at that. I was going to say, oh, speaking of accountability, then I guess we'll just, we'll start now. How Have you started changing your kit parts, sizes, dimensions? Nope, I have not. Mm, what's the first thing you got to do there? <laughs> first steps, I like it. Um, Sam, asking the hard questions. I just cut it off before you can ask me about what mine are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I've gone the opposite direction, even chatting to John yesterday about new products. He was saying he'd taken some offcuts, oh, not offcuts, some seconds, like uh, Mm -hmm. blemished kit apart stuff home to make a little shelf. Yeah. And he'd made kind of a half size one of the normal, the normal regular set. And he's like, Jim, I think we should offer like a half size set because it'd be a better price point. And yeah, like, yeah, cool. It'd be a great idea. Sure. Let's, let's do that in the photo shoot tomorrow and like just put a half size together. And and then that means there's now another kit of parts out in the world. If we bring that online. Yeah. Making, making excuses, but. Yeah. Well, it's definitely the easier method to continue with. The thing that's already doing well. Yeah. I had a customer reach out during the week who's really keen on a kit of parts that can take vinyl records. Aha. And that's one of the key critical dimensions that the new system will include is the ability to store vinyl natively, which the current one can't. Like depth wise or something? No, height, shelf spacing. So I think first step is to do a couple of custom orders for vinyl configurations and maybe collaborate with a customer who's got a really nice setup or nice like audio gear mm-hmm. and say we'll make you this beautiful thing maybe at a discount or something in exchange for a photo shoot at the other end so we can get yeah. a shot of it with your you know beautiful turntables and amplifier and all the stuff that's really hard to do it's good, a good idea, when you don't man. have any of that stuff that's one of so, the hardest yeah. things I've been trying to work through with the knackball is like, I've literally got to attach it to a wall to take photos of it. And most people don't want holes in their wall after the fact. So 
I thought, okay, I'll give it to them, but do they want it? I don't know. I don't have any friends that like this works out with. So that's a good idea. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So when yeah. you're changing this, is it a programming thing? Because I, I would imagine your design capabilities, this is a fast change, but it's more of a decision-making and then execution of changing the production files. It, to be honest, the production side of things would be so quick. Cause Marketing? I haven't, uh, yep. Shopify, mm. updating all the digital assets, I think would be the slowest bit. Air power, man. Oh, yeah, it was there, but you still got to populate <laughs> it all. Yeah. Nah, excuses. The biggest hurdle for me is just making that decision on the new dimensions yeah. and committing to it. Yeah, yeah. So if I start with a couple of custom jobs, that'll help me move me along. Yeah. Because I feel more accountable to my customers than I do to my own deadlines. And so hmm. think things will happen. That's true. Huh. Cool. Yeah. I mean, even if you just, I think we talked about this, there's a company here that came up with this phrase that I had in anybody else called a render type and they just make renderings and then throw them out there. A what? Render, render type. R-E-N-D-E-R-T-Y-P-E. -E -E. Yeah. So it's the yeah, idea yeah. that like you just make a rendering and not the real thing. Test it oh, on social media. See if it's a, render type. See if it's interesting. Gotcha. It gets enough reaction <laughs> instead of investing more time into it. If it gets no reaction or you can do pre-orders theoretically, but you could maybe, like you're saying, make your digital version, throw it out there, see if you get any takes. I've done this. Yeah, I'm sure it's you done. yeah. The challenge with that is capturing that, you know, I did this exact thing with the vinyl specific kit parts yeah. last year. It was one of the most popular posts I'd put on Instagram. <laughs> what? Ever. Oh my god! And I and I did nothing with it. Like, oh, it was yeah, it's yeah. I find that really hard to then go. Cool. Lots of people engage with that. Lots of people like want that right now. Mm -hmm. What's the next step? And I didn't. I didn't follow yeah, through. It's easy to get lost in other things. Yeah. Well, <sighs> I mean, the first time we ever showed the NACWAL publicly, really, we'd spent months working on it. We went to this local maker's market thing for the holidays and I did just a time lapse on my phone, set it up across the space and we just basically were setting it up on this little display, rearranging stuff to make it look good. It's one of the most popular posts I've made. It was literally, mm. I was trying to catch people in the local area. Hey, come check us out at the maker's market on like our CNC page, not the Mac one. I'd like crazy engagement all over. And I was like, oh, Okay, well, that's really encouraging. I don't think it got anybody to go to the market, which didn't really matter. <laughs> but same thing, right? It's, it had huge engagement. It's not that that's like made me get it out to sale faster, but it made me feel good. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 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 You probably thought of this kind of thing too. I like to try to capture people's interests whenever possible off of like social media with like, I've been using Airtable forms quite a bit. Yeah. If you're interested in this thing sign up on the form and the, you know, link in bio. And that way you have an email or something to follow up with a phone number. If yeah, yep. you go farther with it. So. Yeah, it's a good idea. We have done that with one new product that we've kind of got listed as pre-sale and it's good. It'll be interesting to see when we finally get it out, mm -hmm. how many of those leads convert, but yeah, definitely yeah, sure. good to have those. E definitely better to have those emails than just, yeah. comments definitely on instagram for sure yeah yeah i like that um mari tool thing you sent me mm. that was a bit mind-bending i think about that all the time how did you come across that 
I just follow them. They're a local, local United States manufacturer. And the founder, I believe, Frank, seems to run their Instagram. And he just told this story one time back in 2019 about how they used to make crazy amount of parts, brass parts, like fittings, and they would bid them. This is before he started Mario Tool. Okay. Yep. Bid them basically at a loss and then sell the scrap to make profit in the end. And I was just like, what? Like, God, I can't it even imagine. My, it hurts my brain a little bit. Yeah. Just trying to work the logic of that out. I think it's probably not uncommon, I would imagine. I mean, maybe maybe it is, but that competitiveness to try to take jobs, you've got to squeeze every little last bit out in that kind of market. Yeah, I imagine that market's ultra competitive. Yeah. Making little brass threaded widgets, any small part, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, so he's showing like a brass fitting on this post I'll share. Cycle time is 3.8 seconds. Part is made from one to in one quarter inch hex brass and is 0.55 long. You can make 220 pieces per 12 foot bar. Each bar was $66, 30 cents of material. They bid 25 cents for the part. <laughs> and then they would just make their profit on scrap. Wild. <laughs> Ugh. It does make me think about our scrap. Because mm-hmm. we don't. We don't have scrap that can be sent to the metal recyclers, or very rarely. Yeah. But we have lot, a lot of timber sitting around. Maybe we get into that. I want to talk to you about your workshop at some point. I have it on here, but mm. I find it to be incredibly cool. I don't really know anybody, anybody else doing those kind of things. And also your same thing with trying to compost your plywood or your scrap material too is pretty cool. Like both, both great things that I think I'd love to hear you discuss in a little more detail. Yeah, we'll get into that another time. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly no shortage of remnant material in our workshop that we could convert into sales with a bit of time and energy, but it's so easy to just be led into the next project and into the next sheet of plywood. I'll give myself a little credit. We do these certain parts, those little shelves behind me. I've been setting up the small and the medium sized ones to be a patterning of kind of two rows so it only takes like 15 inches by a full sheet width and so you can basically cut them out of any type of little scrap and especially if you've been prototyping them you just need a little piece to cut two sets of table two sets of the shelves and i'm hoping that over time that helps reduce waste for like you're saying like we have a little bit of scrap go make some shelves cool just using like nc programs a little bit smarter than i used to in the past i think with Mm. not having to have so many setups but then being able to just post using the patterns more smart, more intelligently. Mm. find that pretty, pretty nice. More smartly. (laughs) That was a great sentence. Words. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a lot of power in making good fixtures to deal with small remnants. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go off and do my unplanned photo shoot. I can't wait to see your unplanned photo shoot. Oh, maybe I'll spend an hour or so before before he gets here to do some planning. What's your storytelling method? (laughs) <laughs> yeah i'm hopefully gonna get this dang thing put together so we can do some ducting can't wait to see that i know i'm so excited does it seem strong is it gonna sna- snap off here's what's crazy about it as oh, i was definitely concerned flexible petg is very flexible as ricky has told Bad. me a few times what's crazy and i suppose i should know this from the minimal engineering classes i took you put the clamp on for the duct super yeah. strong it like completely makes it rock solid. Oh, yeah. I haven't even attached this part yet, but I think the same thing will apply that mm. when they're both attached, 
then you're just waiting on it to delaminate yeah. maybe Layout is, is my, yeah my only concern there but what's the wall thickness it was 70 thou in the first one this is 75 two mil maybe i don't know what that means okay, about two yeah, mil cool. oh three Sweet. nine is one Thanks. mil yeah i don't cool. know i we're just gonna have to like you know yes i really want to like sell them but i think we need to torture test it a bit <laughs> since oh yeah for just sure first time i've ever tried this kind of thing yeah, yeah that'll cool. be cool hopefully yeah. it improves i if nothing else it has way more volume Fantastic. it's got to be better yeah go and break it and then make a better one yes hopefully break and repeat just just make stuff i somebody said that once someone did yeah all right i'll see you later man see ya bye but I listen to this podcast that they never have a sign off. They don't say bye. They just <laughs> cut it off suddenly. I've listened to 50, 100 of them. Gets me every time. I'm like, did my podcast stop? Like, what's wrong? <laughs> it's like really unnerving. Gold.